Station. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Mind Your Business, a sponsored spin-off of the Call to Action podcast that gives inspiring, unusual or simply very likable businesses a chance to share their story. In a world where most businesses blend together like a briefcase filled with slightly smaller briefcases, we're seeking out the business leaders who are standing out in their sector and doing things very much their own way. It's like reading a business book with the word guru in the title, with the single but vital exception that it won't make you do a little sick in your mouth. It is, as always, brought to you by Gasp, and I'm still Giles Edwards. For those of you who joined us in episode one, check the show notes to skip forward a few minutes to pick up the conversation for this week's episode. So this is the second episode of a special three-part series with Startle, a talented tech company who curates music for brands looking to deliver customer experiences within spaces spanning retail, hospitality and beyond. Music is too powerful to be left in the background. So using a combination of music and tech guided by behavioural science, Startle apply an approach they call Music Plus, allowing them to create branded atmospheres capable of hitting commercial objectives. Whether you're a food operator looking to get customers chewing faster, a retailer wanting to get shoppers shopping longer, or simply a fan of behavioural science and its application across a range of industries, stay with us to find out why the music sounds better with Startle. For those tuning in for the first time, here's a quick recap from episode one with Startle's CEO, Adam Castleton. So we help brands create atmospheres. And we make sure that those atmospheres achieve some kind of business objective, whether that's making people change their perception of a brand, eat their meal quicker, dwell for longer. Um, so that's the first bit what we do. We, we create an atmosphere using behavioral science and music. Um, the second piece, which is actually the really hard thing, is to replicate that at scale across an entire estate. So our technology platform allows people to deliver that consistent atmosphere across all of their stores once we've designed it perfectly in, in one or a handful. For this second episode, I've caught a startle bog off. Buy one, get one free of Magnus Lynn, playlist manager, and James Picken, creative director. Welcome to the show, Magnus and James. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good to have you. So in episode one, we caught up with Adam and we had a lovely story about the background, not only of Adam's career, but the beginnings of the business itself and the book that you have recently published but I'm going to go quite broad with this and I want to start by getting both of your thoughts on quite simply the power of music so creative director James let's start with you why is music so powerful to us mere humans (laughs) um so so I think uh, two reasons um one is obviously it's its ability to tap into our emotions so kind of physiologically, we know that music increases blood flow to certain regions of the brain, regions that generate and control emotions. But on the other side, I think it's a massive part of our identity. So it seems to be this integral part of life where you source music you like and you align yourself with different albums or songs because it says something about who you are as a person 
or says something about how you're feeling at that particular time. So I think um, it's certainly one, it's emotive abilities, but also the fact it's an extension of our personality and our identity. Yeah, I like that. I wonder where within that then, if we've got emotions and identity, maybe it leans more towards identity. Where does the kind of social side of it come? Because I suppose many of us, and by us, I mean humans, um, identify in groups, don't we? I know the word tribe is one that, you know, some people are comfortable with using more so than others. But the idea that you then form a tribe with other fans of certain music there is that social element too, isn't there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's like a way of connecting with other people, people who are maybe going through something similar or who like certain um, aspects of a particular artist. It's almost like a form of social capital, isn't it? I remember like discussing music or artists that I like and based on people's reactions, perhaps maybe editing those slightly or enhancing ones that I thought were maybe more appropriate for the situation. So I guess it's like a way of of fitting in. I think that's primarily a, a huge factor when you're much younger. As you get older, you tend to stop caring what people think about you, and you just like <laughs> you just like what you like. Um, I know um, some of Adam's music tastes will definitely fall into that uh, that category. He likes what he likes, and 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 that's absolutely fine. <laughs> it's funny actually because on that point, I'm. I'm ashamed, not by my music preferences, but I'm ashamed that sometimes when I go to tell people that on my phone, for example, I'll have everything from Frank Sinatra to Wu-Tang Clan, that I need to kind of lean it towards one way or the other to paint the picture of myself that I want them to kind of see more than others, which is absurd, isn't it? Magnus, what do you think about what we're talking about here? Have you got anything else to add apart from Adam's bewitched preferences? (laughs) No, it just I just find it so interesting that based on the music that you listen to and what that says about the, I guess, the subculture that, that, that you belong to then, is that influences so many parts of your identity, like how you dress, how you walk, how you speak, how you style your hair, just solely based on the kind of music you associate yourself with. And if that doesn't say how powerful music is to us mere humans, then what does? If it can literally change the way you behave in all aspects of your life. How does it differ or does it even differ in the world of business and industry when we're looking at marketing and brands trying to tap into that, uh, you know, that power that music represents? I know from my perspective and I work in the world of brands and marketing and I've simplified that recently at a talk I gave to a school of managing memories. We're kind of trying to either control memories or manage memories and ideas that will come to mind when people think of a certain product or a need that they might have. And I bring that up because I have a massive issue when people talk about personal brands, because I think the two things are very different, albeit they share properties, of course. So when we're talking about something that is so deeply personable, is it strange to think that brands can use something that's so deeply personable for their own commercial gain? I guess, yes. Albeit it does work, but sometimes we like to think of brands as a person and what they would typically listen to. Although I don't like those sorts of when you're going through like a brand's DNA or whatever and you see like the target customer and they're like, this person's this and this is what they do and this is what they like. But it is useful to look at a brand in terms of being a person and actually what their tastes would be. Um, I think 
you made a point previously just about liking music or not liking music. And I think it's useful to completely disregard that and look at music as almost like an atmospheric tool. The chances are that someone's going to dislike some of the choices that we put together are very, very low. And just playing into the demographic or playing the demographic card and playing what people like says nothing about you as a brand. So uh, yes, yes, I know that didn't answer your question at all. But um... to be honest, James, it was a terrible question. I kind of (laughs) rambled about personal brands. The truth is, I actually couldn't agree more with how Startle uses its knowledge of behavioural science, coupled with music to improve experiences, both for the user or customer, whichever is the right word uh, that you would use, and the brand slash environment in retail, hospitality, wherever else that is trying to control that and and apply behavioural science with intent, which is something that Adam brought up in episode one. So I threw you not even a curveball, so there's no no, no apologies (laughs) needed. But do you think, both of you, that within the worlds of marketing and brands, do you think enough value an effort is given to the influence that music and sound can have on customers. I think it would be pretty hard to deny that most brands understand that music holds value in terms of atmosphere creation because otherwise nowhere would play music in their venues. So, I mean, like it's actually pretty weird if you go into a venue and there's no music playing. It sort of shines a spotlight onto your conversations, which can actually be pretty wounding because you realise you're not as interesting as you thought you were. <laughs> so I guess I guess half the battle's already won in that respect of getting brands to understand that music holds value. But I do think generally a lack of thought is put into the specifics. And I think where the problem lies is that a lot of places tend to still see music solely as an entertainment service. So it's given minimal thought when designing spaces, but the power of music in communicating other aspects of business, like brand personality or tone of voice is amazing. And so loads of brands miss out on this because of a kind of contextual misunderstanding of what background music is and how it can function. Yeah, I I agree. It's almost using music or giving music a purpose and I think that they absolutely recognize this is brands recognize that it's a part of the brand experience but they don't give enough thought to well what actually does that sound like and I think obviously I mean that's where we come in but um, some of the brands that we've worked with had have had really strong ideas about what they wanted um, music to sound like the types of artists and the types of feelings that they wanted to promote and on the flip side we've had lots of brands who had little or no ideas about music and they wanted us to really take that direction and run with it so yes they realize that it is powerful but they almost don't know where to start I think the subjectivity and personal preference of music comes into that as well because people get very possessive about music. Sure. Um, and again, seeing it as an entertainment service is completely the wrong way of looking at it. Like, let's say a brand has designed a signature scent or something to go in their store. You're not going to have someone come in with their Zara cologne and start spraying it being like, I actually prefer this, let's get this in store. So you have to sort of boil down the music and keep it on brand. Otherwise, you just end up with this sludge of of nothing. I like that when I gave you the opportunity, Magnus, to come down hard on businesses, perhaps not giving enough value 
to music and sound. You actually stood up for them and, you know, quite rightly said it's rare to find venues without music. It's good that you, you make that point. In episode one of this series, Adam used a line which I loved, which was, I was in a pub and I had an idea, and he was talking about the idea to form Startle ultimately. If we think about most business starters and how most businesses are founded, they typically start with an idea. So if we take that thought and apply it to retail and hospitality, let's just choose hospitality because it's the shortest distance in my head of to sell a certain food type, for example. I imagine if you're going through that journey, you're immediately thinking about how to scale the food and the product that's going to be within there. You then think about premises, you then think about a team, you're looking at costs and overheads and trying to work out how you can turn a profit. I think also to give credit to retail and hospitality, you're probably quite a few fingers down when you're counting things to think about before you get to music and sound. For sure. So it does make sense that it's not necessarily the first thing. And yet at the same time, it's obviously a really, really significant commercial opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And you very rarely, I think, have experiences of terrible music when you walk into a store and just like the worst song is playing for that store you walk into a lot of safe kind of sounds and a lot of really great soundtracks as well so I think that in terms of priority it's like well it at the very best will be safe but we might not be great but there's a million other things I need to consider And yet we want to take the weight off the brand person's shoulders and for them to lean on us and our expertise. And yeah, just to make that decision making process about what to choose a lot easier. Just going back to the point on how most places realise music should be playing. I think that actually can come at a disadvantage in that respect because if your your thought process about background music being like, okay, we need background music because everywhere plays it, you're just going to stick anything on. It's like the final piece of the puzzle and you don't put much thought into it. Just, okay, so long as something's playing, great, let's let's open the doors. So because of that, it's not a very special thing, I guess, because it's so normalised. So people might not put as much time into into designing their, into designing their background music profiles. So is, is part of the battle even persuading is probably the wrong words, probably just informing retail and hospitality outlets that actually it isn't just a case of the brief isn't we need background music therefore there we go we've got background music it's actually thinking harder than and having the time as, as you said Magnus to actually think about the music in its application within an environment and what that does and how that might have commercial impacts or even just an impact of a better atmosphere it doesn't even need to be linked to commercials. Absolutely. I think we'll touch on later about some of the research that's been done and how how music can be used to impact atmospheres and behaviour. But yeah, like you say, it's it's almost as though people just need their hands holding. It's quite, I guess it's quite a complicated area to navigate if you're not necessarily that clued up on a a big catalogue of music or you don't have the time. So, Well, maybe maybe now's a good time to get into something you talk about in the book, Science of Sound. What is science of sound and how do you apply that with your customers? So the science of sound as a concept is pretty loaded and it has some really interesting areas like how we use track data to support music choices. But I think a good place to start is by looking at two key areas. So firstly, the more objective acoustic elements of music, for example, instrumentation, tempo, rhythmic qualities, texture, presence or lack of vocals etc 
And then secondly, how these acoustic elements can be used with intention to impact atmosphere and behavior. Like I said, it's quite a complex area to explain theoretically. So it might be useful to just have a look at some hypothetical examples to explain it a bit better. So there was a a really interesting piece of research done in Scotland that found customers spent significantly more time in a restaurant when slow music was played compared to when faster music was played. So let's say a restaurant is having issues with dwell time and prospective customers are being turned away because there aren't any free tables. We could begin filtering in higher tempo music to help speed up table turnaround. And for this kind of scenario, we'd probably be looking at tracks between 120 and 125 BPM. So we would use our data to then find those tracks and pump them in. So the kind of tempo that would be would be quite a gentle disco hit. So it, it would still have an upbeat, lively energy about it, but it's not going to be like, what the hell have I walked into? <laughs> yeah. I think another example is actually something that we we worked on with a profile for a client recently, and Adam spoke about it in the previous episode, was that bass-heavy music has been found to result in pronounced feelings of power and assertive behaviour. So let's say you're dealing with a client that sells quite high-stakes goods, maybe like a luxury watch retailer, We could lean into this idea by picking tracks that use more prominent bass lines and have um, stronger bass frequencies. So in a nutshell, I guess, with the science of sound, how we think about that is it's the process of being guided by research to select music with certain acoustical properties with the intention of inducing specific emotions of behavior. It sounds very complicated when you say it one after the other, but I hope those examples kind of shed some light on it. No, they make really good. I like the example as well. I would imagine, and I can't claim to have been in many or any Rolex stores recently, but I would <laughs> imagine they don't play a high BPM kind of thumping soundtrack. The trouble is actually, when I imagine sound like that i imagine it very loud but of course it doesn't have to be loud does it It just maybe you typically is in most experiences when you're growing up exactly like if you think of baseline you're going to think of drum and bass garage house but you can also have some beautiful instrumental tracks that are very mellow but do have quite resonant bass frequencies so that's the kind of thing that you could lean into. But I imagine the kind of place like Rolex might not even use music. James, you're nodding as if you've recently been into a Rolex. No, I'm not. I just, I walk past the Rolex store and it's always like the gatekeepers of shiny jewels and objects. <laughs> and it's just so intimidating, even just walk walking past it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not a watch person at all, so I don't really right. buy into that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I guess... Gosh, who knows what music they would play? And in my like, my opinion, probably something very um, classical or. Yes, yeah, so I was um, thinking orchestral music. Yeah. Oh yeah, probably actually produced by a string quartet who's just in the back somewhere <laughs> away in the wings producing this yeah. beautiful sound. Perfect. Well, I, I wanted to talk to you about context. So this is a perfect little way in, isn't it, really? <laughs> I name-checked Rory in the first episode, and I'm about to do it again. I don't think anyone minds. He's everyone's favourite Rory. There's a lovely <laughs> quote, which is, our very perception of the world is affected by context, which is why the rational attempt to contrive universal context-free laws for human behaviour may be largely doomed. So how do you think about context when working with customers just thinking about that string quartet in, in Rolex stores? <laughs> which, which they don't do, um, just disclaimer. I mean, they might, I'm not sure. I've never been into the Rolex store. Um, so for us, when 
creating a music profile or curating a playlist context is the most important. I think Adam touched on um, flipping that from demographics to context, because really context is almost a shared experience. I'll quote our book. Um, Our book, it says, as social creatures, we constantly adapt our behaviours and responses given the context of the situation. And so the example is how you behave in an art gallery or a museum or a library versus your behaviour in a bar at 9pm on a Friday night. So completely different things. Um, and you respond to the context of the situation. If, if you take the example of something like a coffee shop, first thoughts are probably battered leather chairs. Maybe there's a nice cosy vibe. And I know you hate the word vibe, Giles, but I'm going to use it. So you've got this sort of very relaxed vibe. Um, but if we compare something like an independent shop, say like in the middle of nowhere in Scotland versus a Starbucks in central London, you're still dealing with a coffee shop and the demographics are probably similar or the same, but the contexts are totally different. So your behaviour would adjust slightly for this. So we would ask questions like, of course, where are you located? What are the customers doing in the space? How are they behaving? How busy do you get at certain times? Um, do people mostly sit in or do they take away? And this helps us to understand the mood and the energy and, of course, the, the context overall. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I'm just going to cut the word vibe. From you, <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> we, want to br- we want to bring back the word vibe. It's <laughs> it's association with like a, a tousled hair surfer in Australia is no longer the case. It's, it's a modern word. <laughs> we interrupt this podcast to announce that we will never interrupt this podcast with ads. Ads that awkwardly nudge you to contact the pod's host, Giles Edwards, on giles at gasp.agency. Only the other day, some pod-listening companies did just that, asking whether we'd stick our sponsored spin-off nose into their business next. But we're not asking you to do that. Nope. Anyway, back to the show. I wonder then, if you're dealing with context, which, which have, you know, I'm sold in terms of its significance, and of course that makes complete sense, but context is obviously you know, ever-changing. So if you're working with, I understand there's more fixed variables in the example you just gave when you're talking to, about, to customers about maybe store location or types of customer profiles, etc. But when you're dealing with context such as things that affect us, so I'm thinking of maybe the weather or the news, just what's going on in the world can have huge effects on people's behaviour. How do you stop it from becoming overwhelming when you're trying to deal with all types of context? Or a better question might be, how do you choose and narrow down the context which are relevant for your customers? So I I, I think mood and, and energy is is probably the two most important aspects of context. Yeah. Um, of course, weather and atmospherics and things like that do play into those moods, but it's really looking at it from a brand point of view. What sorts of moods and what sorts of energies do you want to perpetuate? What what ones do you want to promote? And absolutely, those will change throughout the day and they'll change throughout the week. And I guess part of our profiling process is to really nail down how that changes when their busiest moment is and when their quietest moment is, when customers are doing different things, um, whether it's like eating during the day or at nighttime you're drinking in a pub and we plot out those moments throughout the day and then help um, profile and curate in a way that either enhances that or 
can have kind of other effects like for example if it's relatively busy you want to bring maybe the tempo down to create a much more relaxed feel and things like reducing dwell time if people are maybe spending a bit a bit longer and you've got people waiting increasing energy helps combat that so i think plot where this changes throughout the day in the week and then shape music according to that graph i think what's really important about context is that when you're designing a music profile you're either there are two ends of the spectrum you're either wanting to perfectly match it or go against the grain anything in between will probably turn out a bit gray so we recently worked with a really cool client out in america called 30 seconds out and their owner used to serve in the military and they now produce active wear and apparel and the name 30 seconds out as a military phrase basically being once you're 30 seconds away from dropping onto a mission there's no turning back so they really wanted to get this brand concept across in their profile so from that we went for kind of like a rugged intensity you don't want it again like i said before you don't want the music to blow someone's head off but you just want that that sort of steady pumping intensity throughout the day. And we wanted to sort of tap into quite rugged production styles. So we were going for indie rock, I guess, sort of Royal Otis, The Vaccines, J.W. Francis as example artists. But what's really interesting about Strong Musical Fit is that brands perceived as having music profiles with a strong musical fit have been found to improve perceptions of quality which has a really interesting knock-on effect in terms of desire to return to the store in the future wow what a cool name and what a cool example i like that a lot before we wrap up this episode i want to ask you both and this can be in the context of science of sound or i should have used a different word the context of context can you think of anyone who does this particularly well Naming some of our customers, uh, ZZ Ask, um, Coco de Mama, I think they do it particularly well. I think that's a, a result of the profiling sessions that we did and the ideas that they came with. They've really said something kind of different and striking about who they are as a brand, certainly within casual dining. And it's exciting, actually, to go to one of those locations Um I think H&M actually do it really well. I always like the pace and the kind of tones of their music. There's a lot a lot of softer kind of hushed voices. Um certainly in the in the indie pop kind of tracks that they play. I think Urban Outfitters um are fantastic too. They very kind of niche hipster I would say and it's not a bad word whatsoever. Um and it's almost like a music discovery when you're going in there and you're listening to tracks because you're typically hearing things that aren't commercial. Oh, last one, Cafe Nero. I guess they're not consistent because sometimes I've heard different types of music, but they sometimes play classical music. And I just find it the most soothing music to to set and to work whilst listening to that because granted, lots of people now work um, from these co- these types of coffee shops. Yeah, there's a there's a Nero opposite our office, and I'm sure it's a co-working space more than it is a coffee shop at the moment. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, yeah. on, on the flip side, there's coffee shops near me, and they say no laptops, like, and big <laughs> stickers. Friendly. Yeah. 
<laughs> Magnus, have you got any uh, any examples you can share of someone you think does it well? It's interesting what James said about H&M kind of having a sort of hushed energy going on because I was in there recently and I remember they were playing this song called Rain Girl by Yeji. I might have butchered that pronunciation. Um, but I was just like, yeah, that is awesome. And like there are there are relatively few places that I've been and I've just been so sort of taken aback by the music. The only other place that I can think of off the top of my head where I've walked away being like that is unbelievable. In fact, my mate set up a collaborative Spotify playlist trying to replicate the music that was going on in this venue. Is that good? It's a bar in Leeds called Hedrow House. It's a bit of a cheat answer because they have live DJs and stuff. So they're they're pretty music oriented. But that's a particularly standout moment. Okay, well, excellent. I think that's a good time to call time on this episode. Thanks for joining us, guys. Next week will be the final leg of our Startle Tour, a.k.a. episode three, where we'll be getting the band back together to delve deeper into how they apply behavioural science principles to help brands avoid plunging into the sea of sameness. One of the traps that a lot of retailers fall into in that they look for inspiration inside their own industry and end up sounding very similar. So one of the things we always try to do is look for inspiration intentionally outside of an industry because that mimicry can be actually unintentional. So yes, in theory, you could scientifically isolate certain tracks that have the optimum impact on people, but it would be at the cost of your entire brand. And ultimately then that wouldn't work. Thanks to everyone for spinning along with this Call to Action sponsored spin-off. There is, of course, far more to find out about the Startle story. So join us for the next part and please do send in any questions you have or any inspiring businesses you think we should feature to calltoaction at gasp.agency. I can't get no call to action. try and I try and I try